What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Nightmares Podcast, where we talk about all things horror, and we exclusively talk to awesome people in the horror community. We will talk about uh, film, music, movies, artwork, and in this case, um, uh, talking to an awesome screenwriter. Um, without further ado, we have Michael. If you would be so awesome to introduce yourself uh, to the awesome community and let them know what you're all about. Hi, fellas. Uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always great to get out and talk to horror community and loving loving horror people, like-minded <laughs> individuals as we all are. Um, yeah, my name is Michael Donovan Horn. I'm a screenwriter. Uh, the past three years or so, I've had two, two uh, major releases produced. Uh, the first was The Dinner Party in 2020, and then after that was Demigod in 2021. And uh, they both did very well. They, they turned out really well, considering, you know, we did a very moderate budget for both of them. And uh, I was very pleased with how they turned out. And it was such a thrill to see your work come alive on the screen for the first time and, and the second time. So, um, and uh, I've, I mean, I'm, I was raised in horror, you know, I mean, my, my older sister had every Stephen King novel ever written and show introduced me to the lost boys, which is one of the first horror movies I ever saw. And I absolutely adored it. And uh, I just kind of grew from there. And uh, still to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, my my film collection is too big. I mean, I, I have nowhere to put any more movies I buy, like literally nowhere. And I, <laughs> I mean, I, I read, of course, constantly being a writer. I mean, you, you name it, I've read it. And uh, my favorite thing to do is, of course, to go to Goodwill and find a book for a dollar that I haven't read yet and anything and sit it down. And I have a stack about three feet high and just trying to get to read. Um, what I'm reading right now currently is uh, Clive Barker's Dark Worlds. Nice. which they just nice. released and it's it's such a joy to read because um i admire people like stephen king and mr james and then like all the uh, old school writers in lovecraft you know but uh the school i adhere to the most is clive barker the uh i i'm just head over heels i mean i when i first found the book's blood back in the day and i i could not believe that story after story like there's there's nothing terrible in there, in there, you know, like, I'm like, I'm like, each story was just as good or better than the last one. And I'm like, where the hell did this guy come up with this? I mean, talk about an imagination. I had never read anything so gorgeously horrific in my life because it's, you know, it's full of splatter and viscera, but it's also so hauntingly poetic at the same time. And I was like, that is the kind of school that I adhere to that I, I just, I just love. I have like everything Clive Barker's ever written and read them all. I mean, and when I found the Hellbound heart, you know, I mean, Hellraiser is my favorite horror movie of all time because the, it is the most, yeah, I see the poster. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's right behind Zach. <laughs> well, I saw when you guys came on, I'm like, eh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, and, because um, it was, I mean, it was the most imaginative thing I've ever seen, and still one of the most imaginative things I've ever seen to this day, Absolutely. and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen up until that point, and, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, Doug Bradley in the role of Pinhead is just amazing. The um, <laughs> So, you kind of answered my, my universal question just a little bit, but I want to dive deeper into it. Uh, which is a, a question that I kind of ask everybody, which was when did horror come into your life? But it sounds like your sister was a really big influence on you. Um, uh, you know, when it came to horror, you know, where, it, 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 where did her journey start and then how did it kind of intersect with you? And then how did it progress as time went on? She was just, my older sister is just very different in a, in the best way possible, you know, and she, she always tries to, strike out and find new things and more interesting, you know, she, she just goes against the crowd like you wouldn't believe. And, and, uh, I remember, uh, yeah. And, uh, we were sitting down and we were watching the lost boys and she's like, you should be lucky you little punk. I'm like, why? She's like, mom and dad, maybe wait till I was 16 to watch this. And you're only 13. <laughs> I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, Ooh, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, she had literally every Stephen King book like on her shelf and I would just go grab one and start reading it and, you know, and then exchange it for a different one. And um, and then, of course, I started seeking out, you know, other kinds of horror movies and stuff like that, which just 
it's just opened up the world to me is what she did, you know, in the best way. And I, I call her a horror professor because you I mean, you, you, any, I mean, you could ask her anything about everything. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a guru and I'm, I'm, I'm almost to her level, but not quite the, um, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the, uh, one of these days you'll be able to pull some star Wars lines on her and everything else. So when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. I, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, yeah. No, I could never best her on Star Wars either. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, the um, uh, you're talking to two uh, pretty Star Wars fanatics too. By the by, the way, the um, uh, nerd culture runs deep throughout this entire thing. So you know, yeah. so after you know, um, uh, you know, you got introduced to Lost Boys. The um, uh, was that like the like the uh, the pivotal movie for you, or did it become even more influential as time goes on? Because some people are like, that was the movie that like that I'm like. Yeah, this is this is where I'm going to be a fan for forever. Or to get more deeper as you went into more uh, hardcore horror, like the Jasons and the Freddies of the world. Um, uh, the uh... the uh, the Lost Boys was the the gateway drug because number one, it has such great, I mean, gore and terror, but it was also freaking hilarious. And I remember thinking, horror movies can be funny. Like, how am I supposed to feel about this? You know, like they're eating people and blood everywhere, but then. You know, like when you wait till mom finds out, like I, I, I was like, what is this? You know, it was like this, this stew. And then I was like, OK, well, then I got to look at these other ones. And then, of course, I started watching more and more. And, of course, some of them were, you know, funny. They're straight up terror. But at the same time, I was like, OK, well, this is another school all in itself, too. And it's also very interesting. And the thing that really pulled me into horror was just the fact that it was so different from everything else. You know, school dramas and I mean, comedies, I love comedy and stuff like that, but just the darker aspects of life and the things they can play with uh, on screen and the uh, the stories, which just drew me in because the darker side of life is always something that's really been attuned to me. I mean, I mean, even my wife, my loving wife, I mean, we're talking about a woman who falls asleep listening to true crime podcasts. You know, so <laughs> I, my fiance does the same thing. And and, and f- by the way, there's a story that you'll enjoy for just 30 seconds. I was I was in a play over the weekend and uh, and my one of my dear, dear friends who's also my roommate came with his fiance to go see the show. And they're like, hey, you want to go get something to eat afterwards? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a good Philly cheesesteak next door because uh, you know we're in Chicago. And, uh, I mean, ironically enough, a Philly cheesesteak in Chicago, but apparently it's the only place that has it in Chicago. Um, uh, so we went next door, and and I and I've been trying to get out of the habit of having my phone on me all the time and looking at it. I really want to be engaged with the person that's in front of me. So I had it in my pocket, and I had forgotten to message her that I was going out and everything else. And I and I and I and I look at my phone. It's just all these missed calls and all these mixed text text messages. And guess what she was doing? She was watching true crime, and it was a story about how that was the last time I saw my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> And um, uh, you know, and then he was never turned uh, spoken from again after calling him like twenty times. I'm like, sweetheart, you need to stop watching those. You need to stop watching those. And she's like, I know, but I like them so much. And 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 and, but I got a little carried away, and I thought you were in a trunk somewhere. You want a funny story? My wife and I were watching the uh, the last season of the new uh, Unsolved Mysteries on uh, Netflix that they put out. Sure. And they they did a really good job with it. And I remember watching the one of the first episodes, and it was really really intense and everything. And then of course the show comes to an end, and they talk about what's going on normally. And my wife literally says out loud, "What? They didn't solve it." <laughs> and I, of course, wait a beat. And I'm like, "Honey, what's the name of the show?" <laughs> And she's just like, shut up. <laughs> the uh, in fairness, we all have those moments. The um, uh, we 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 all. Yeah. yeah. Mark has them more than others. Oh, all the time. Oh my god, he he, he heard me ramble <laughs> to my fucking wedding coordinator the other day. They um, <laughs> just just ramble about shit. And he's like, he's like, did, did, was any of that coherent? I'm like, nah, probably not. Oh, they, but that's oh, what I pay her for. They um, I pay her to to make sense. <laughs> they um, my so that's that's how life works. So that that's really cool though that you discovered everything. And you know, it, it, it's interesting you brought up like family dynamics and everything else. Like, um, you know, as you became more and more of a fan, you know, like what was your parents' reaction? Were they like fans of classical horror, or were they just not in that world at all? My 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 parents are extremely 
they are huge comedy fans. Okay. Old school. I mean, I, and it's, it's interesting because around my dad, I grew up on like Bob Hope, Danny Kaye, you know, all the, uh, the big comedy news. I mean, Dean and Dean and Jerry, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. And, uh, I, and I, I have a ton of all of the movies on like Blu-ray, you know, trying to keep them. And, but also it was interesting because, um, even doing that, like uh, one of the first Bob Hope movies I watched with my dad was Ghostbreakers, which was about Bob, like, you know, like going into like a, a haunted manor and trying to rescue a girl from supposed ghosts. And there's a zombie in it and all kinds of stuff. And once again, it's hilarious, but it delved really kind of almost deeply into the, the uh, horror aspect. It had a lot of elements of that. And so once again, that was like, this is funny, but I'm like, I also like the the spooky stuff going on here, you know? And, um, and so that along with, you know, when I watched lost boys with my sister and whatnot, and it's kind of the, uh, the, uh, all of those things stewed together and it developed what, uh, people ask me why I like horror movies so much. And I, I give them a term I invented when I tell them about it. I say that for me, horror has what I like to call a ghoulish hilarity, meaning like it's, I mean, Think about Friday the 13th, you know, I mean, Jason, he's running around killing campers wearing a hockey mask with a machete. I mean, you know, when you're in the movie, that's ah, but when you think about it, it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> and by the way, massive Friday the 13th fan. Massive. Yeah, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're they're great. But when you when you look at him, you're like, this is hysterical. You know, like he picks up a, ki a kid in a sleeping bag and bashes them against a tree. Like, okay. <laughs> How are you not going to laugh at that? Which brilliantly yeah, is, yeah. which is brilliantly made fun of in Jason X. Oh my! Oh, yeah. the, the hologram was just fucking great. The oh yeah. my! God, I love those and movies. <laughs> I mean, of course, like you, you just well. Sometimes you have to laugh at the uh, the absurdity of of the situation, and and, yeah. and, and, and but also too is like it's a release. The same way you laugh at, on a roller coaster or wa laugh through a haunted house, like it's frightening, but it's also you know it, it, it's it's you know it's it's humorous and and you laugh at your friends who are like ah you got gotten the um, oh, yeah. uh, you know it, it's a whole experience that that comes with it and it's cathartic. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, Freddy Krueger with fish knives on his hand, wearing a Christmas sweater and a fedora. I mean, come on, it's it's amazing. Also. <laughs> I like, I just, you just love it. I mean, how can you not love it? And then, uh, that, and then like, like I said, when I saw Hellraiser finally back when I was like, Oh, I don't know, like 14, 15, I was like, okay, this is scary, but there was no humor in it. And it not only was it dark and twisty, but it was also very like romantic and poetic and pinhead didn't crack jokes. He, he was the very, very like punishing like teacher yeah exactly was, this is what horror can be too okay i'm in a, I'm, I'm all in it with this yeah you know like and so i kind of graduated if you will from all these different kind of levels until i found the niche that i love the most and what really really excites me when i go see horror movies or search or seek them out to this day absolutely and I, and I think you'll appreciate this i always when i describe horror to people i say it's a there's only two different different types of horror movies and and or a combination of the two which is one there's the fun balls to the wall people are gonna die it's gonna be a great time it's the freddy versus jason's of the world those are fucking uh, fantastic the um yeah. uh, you know they're, they're great they're a lot of fun it's it's a whole big experience and then there are the horror movies that have something to say, the um uh, that, that actually have something poetic to say. And then there's combinations of the both. I mean, one of my favorite horror movies from all uh, of all time is Reanimator, and that's a combination. And that's a combination of both. I, I think that that has a lot to say. But it's H.P. Lovecraft. Like H.P. Lovecraft always has something interesting to say. So you're always going to run into those type of combinations, you know. And I happen to love the story one a little bit more. And I think Zach's a little bit more of the camp of the, I just want to watch some fun shit happen and people to fucking <laughs> die. That's the reason why he's a, you know, the Friday the 13th fan that the way he is. And that's all that is, you know, it's, it's a place to turn your brain off, especially considering some of the, what was the one that you said? Make, uh, was it Jason goes to Manhattan? 
um, or a couple different ones. You're like, just don't think about it too hard. No, you you cannot think of a coherent story with Jason because there's so many continu- continuity errors between the movies. It's unfucking. Yeah, I-, I like to say that Friday the Thirteenth takes place like ten years or ten or twenty years in the eighties, and then yeah. like you finally get to uh, what's it? Jason goes to hell, and we finally hit the nineties. Jason X just goes way into the fucking future. And then Freddy vs. Jason is just 2000s. It's just like, okay. Yeah, but for the most part, you get 20 years of the 80s throughout the rest of the movies. And you just have one hell of a time throughout that entire series. And I fucking love it. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, you know, like Halloween 3. Oh, God. The witch. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, the, you know, all, hold on, hold on, hold on. I stand by this theory. If Halloween 3 was ha- Halloween 2, we would think it was fucking genius. Well, yeah, but here's the th- – uh, it was amazing because what they were going to do is, of course, they were going to just leave Michael and keep making movies based on Halloween with Correct. all kinds of storylines. And you're like, yeah, that would have been cool. But, you know, uh, the third one was – they did what they did, you know. And uh, I feel like maybe if it would have been a little more – I mean it was – I mean, it's great the way it is, but um, if people would have gotten into it a little bit more, then we could have seen – who knows what we could have seen after that. It would have been but very different. Been, yeah. Been very different. And also, too, Friday the 13th was supposed to follow a similar trajectory. It was supposed to yep. be anthology of different things, but like – I guess people you know, people fell in love with Jason. So, I mean, you yeah. know, people like Zach fell in love with Jason. So it, it just made sense. Yeah. The Alma. Um, uh, but, you know, and, and I and, and also, too, is, you know, I it's it's great to introduce a lot of people to a lot of different horror movies that um, I my my two favorite of all time, though, are uh, Scream and Cabin in the Woods. So I exist oh. on, on the meta on the meta side. So I, I really, okay. really dig those, um, especially Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, I think exceeds exceeds it for uh, for me even ahead of scream i just love that movie oh that that i actually wrote um i wrote i write horror articles for collider okay and uh um i the last one i wrote was uh, uh how cabin in the woods subverted the horror genre and so <laughs> yeah that was i dived into that me and my wife saw that in the theaters and we just died it was fantastic the i have a question um uh, so and i asked this to every cabin of the woods fan and and Zach's here is sick of hearing it but i don't care um uh, who in their right mind would, would 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 make a button that does that the um and by the way there's not even there's there's not even a little locky thing on there there's not even a plastic like you know lock with a key it's just chilling there like who 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 would just leave that button unattended <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have that button in that movie. I mean, how could you not have that button in that movie? Come on. The, well, you, yeah, you have second, to have that. Come on, you're sitting in the theater watching this movie, and the second you see all of those things in those cubes, you're just dying. Like, come on, let them all out. We want to see them all get out at once. Oh man, you just turn into an anarchist. Like, I turn into an anarchist. I'm like, bring down the system. And I just remember, like. I, I never felt that, like, if I had to pick a horror movie moment that's one of the best calm before the storms moment is when all the guards stop oh, firing shit. and then literally <laughs> you just hear the elevator shifting and, I, and you go, what's about to happen? It's going to get great. Okay. And then the guy's like, oh, fuck. And then the, just the <laughs> elevator doors open and chaos comes out. The oh, um, uh, It's, oh, it's so, it's so good. I watched, I've watched that movie several times and several times with him. And it's just, it's so good every time. Well, the best, the best part about the whole big treat about that movie is that these are what these guys have been doing for how long to keep these gods stated. So you're like, how can you not imagine those two down in the bunker orchestrating Friday the 13th, Hellraiser, you know, like all the good, like, like, Merman. like, how can you not picture them down there going through all of that? I mean, that's the huge, that's the biggest treat that movie does for you is you just like, when you go back and watch those, you're like, just picturing them down in the bunker, you know, hitting the buttons and stuff. And you're like, that's fantastic. Oh yeah. That's and then also the board with all the, you know, the, the with all the different <laughs> oh, one, the, um, the one I remember is witches and sexy witches. The, yeah. um, I uh, often to remember that those are two different things. The, um, oh, look, I should get prizes. I had zombies. Yeah, you did. But this is redneck torture family zombies. It's totally different. <laughs> it's a totally different speed. I'm never going to see a fucking merman in my lifetime. It's terrible. The, um, uh, the, <laughs> 
And then, you know, and, and then obviously, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Scream was uh, was very influential on me. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I it was definitely seeing some of those uh, meta things, you know, so it was I always I always dig the meta. And, and actually, too, one of my favorite um, horror comedies is um, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the um is still one of my absolute favorites. The um uh, the um uh, and I think most people that are like I love horror comedy, I'm like that's something you have to, you have to see. Like if you haven't that already is, seen it, that is so well written. It isn't even funny. Oh, dude, it, it's it, it's uh, it, you know yeah absolutely. Please go I ahead. I still haven't seen. There's a a, a a an option on the uh, the Blu-ray where you can watch the movie from the teen's point of view. Yes, I've heard about this. I've never got a chance to actually I find it. I haven't a chance either, and I, I'm dying to, like, see it where, like, you know, they just – the Tucker and Dale are complete madmen, you know, and I'm like, that's got to be hysterical. Oh, it's oh, it's got it's, it's got to be – Zach's already thinking about it right now, especially him with the chainsaw and everything else yeah, with the yeah. bees. Oh, my God. The um, uh, it, it, it got to love. It. I mean, Zach and I grew up with the with Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps, so we're the '90s kids. So yeah. we got to we got to do that. But you you grew up in the MTV generation, so I mean, Lost Boys is is you know vampire horror and MTV and put it in a blender and hit frappe, and that's what you get. Yeah. So I mean, which is pretty cool. The uh, so I, I'm curious too too you know um and now it's an opportunity for us to talk about your art form when it comes to 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 screenwriting. You know, how did that you know start to enter your life? Well, I mean, I've grown up with horror movies. One day you, you get, and uh, I um, I remember starting to write things in, in uh, junior high and high school and getting in because I got into theater, the theater programs. And then when I got to the point in high school where I was able, actually allowed to write my own plays to put on, because we had, every fall we had a night of one acts where the students would cast and direct them and put them on for, uh, you know, the uh, an audience and then it occurred to me, I actually asked my, my theater teacher, Mr. Lampson, who was fantastic. I was like, could I actually write my own play? And he's like, yeah. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, as long as it's, you know, appropriate and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, sweet. And so I did that. And then, you know, and then me and my friend, Lauren Hickman, who was a fellow student of mine, directed it. And it went over really well. And, and uh, then my, my friend, Spencer Griffin, who I went to high school with, who is now, who actually worked and did a lot of work for Funny or Die. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, he's 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 getting big into the the media content world. And he and I sat down and we're like, what if we did our own spring night of one acts? It's never been done before. And like you and I will write all the plays and cast and everything. And that's what we did. And they let us do it. And uh, we did five plays and we, we wrote each one of them and they all ranged from, you know, comedy to, to thrillers and whatnot. And it was a, it was a huge success and all the, the money that came in, we, we were, we were put to, we put it to a, a local charity and it, it just, it was, it was mind blowing. And after that I was addicted. I mean, like writing something and seeing it come alive and like, and just the whole, the whole creating worlds, creating characters, is just such a huge drug that you can't let go of. And, um, and then of course in college, I get into college and I got accepted. I got a theater scholarship in college and it was just performing at the wazoo and writing things. And my theater professor, Richard Poole was an amazing man. And he actually sat down with me one day and he's like, you know, there is no program here, but if you'd like, you and I could do an independent program about writing and playwriting. Hmm. I was like, yes, please. And so, you know, he, we recommended a couple books for me to buy and I would read them and I would do the exercises and he would grade them. And, and it really, really helped to refine my skills. And, um, and of course carrying horror in the back of my mind here that whole time. And then once I graduated and, you know, and then I sat down one day and I was like, I love horror movies. Maybe I should write one. And which I'd never tried before. Cause all I'd been doing was plays and theater and whatnot. And I was like, okay, so I started, and I was—I remember vividly. At the, after I got out of college, I was still living at home, and I was uh, working in the photo department at Walgreens, and I would literally spiel out like inches of receipt paper, and then I would write down whatever was in my head and pocket them, and then at the end of the, <laughs> the end of like three months, I had a pile like this, just receipts with ideas on it, and I was like, okay, it's time to write, and I sat down at the computer at my mom and dad's and just started churning shit out. And the first thing I ever wrote 
was a, a horror movie called, uh, I called it One Million Monsters, um, which I don't think is the title that works nowadays, but it was very interesting because I basically, the theory or the premise was that um, serial killers in the U.S. are actually bred in labs by the government. And they, it started in the 60s because the people in America got started to get a little too rambunctious, really against America, blah, 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 blah. And so scientists figured out how to do things to the brain to put these people out in the world to keep them in their houses and afraid of the news and things mm -hmm. like this. And the story is about a, a girl named Samantha who falls asunder. It starts off like any other horror movie. She and some friends are going across country to a wedding and they get sidetracked and, uh, and you know, and they get butchered by a, a madman out in the woods and whatnot. But then halfway through government agents show up with tear gas and, you know, put everybody out, whatever. And then Samantha suddenly wakes up in New York city and she has a new hair color, a new name, a new life. And she doesn't remember her old one. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she has a compulsion to start butchering people. And she's like, what is going on with me? I don't remember stuff. And starts things kind of start coming back into her brain. And at that point, she meets a man named Elijah, who was one of the very first tubs, uh, first test subjects of these, this experiment. And he freed himself from it. And he basically frees Sam from it. And then they both end up start their own mission of going around and killing all the other serial killers, trying to even things out. Mm. So basically it was this huge mesh of like Frankenstein, Alice in Wonderland, all these kind of nifty little things I put together. And then I finished it and I was like, is this even any good? I, I don't, you know, I mean, I've read screenplays, I've seen movies, but you know, this is the first time I've ever done anything. So I was like, well, the only way to find out, put in a competition. And so I entered Write Movies. It was their 13th annual screenwriting and it was an international competition and they only select uh, a thousand entries from all over the world and second place nice 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 very second. nice which you're like yes but then you're like if only the winner hadn't entered this competition <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 if only if only but I, you know and i i thought it was pretty good but i was shocked i was like out of a thousand international entries i got second place you know, and and the funny thing is, is too, is as you were talking, I was I was like, you almost developed like a creepy pasta before a creepy pasta, like it has that <laughs> it has that like creepy pasta edge, like where it's about like you know like uh, you know government conspiracies and related to horror and like something that could be like an actual true story about you know it's kind of has that edge to it, which is very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that blew me away, and I couldn't believe it. And then of course, I started sending it out. To uh, literary agents and production companies, and uh, then uh, Big Screen Entertainment, which is a subsidiary of Paramount, actually picked it up and optioned it. But then, which was great, but then it kind of went into development hell, and you know, as it is, which was disheartening. But you know, just the fact that I apparently can write, according to these people, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, also to. Uh, production company you know and all these things and i was just like well then i should keep doing it because seeing these things come alive on screen is would be amazing and i would love to have this kind of career that's that that's that's fantastic the um uh, so i mean i imagine that too you know uh, i know you kind of mentioned it a little bit and kind of you know talked about it but um for those people who like who aren't the the writers of the world uh, and everything what does it feel like to actually see something that you just made up in your head the um uh, you know i imagine it, i can probably relate it to a musician uh playing live and having the audience uh, you know chant the words back to them so i'm very curious on how you feel about like actually seeing somebody perform your dialogue it's amazingly surreal like you know like the fact that what you're what i'm seeing literally was in my brain you know and and now it's 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 literally like it's literally it's literally like a dream coming true you know, something in your brain that is now in front of you, made real by all these dedicated, wonderful people, actors and set designers and whatnot, and the director and all these wonderful things. And it just, it was absolutely mind blowing, you know, because especially because, and I've, I've, I've said this during filming to like the cast and stuff is that when I write a line in my brain and put it down on paper, you envision it. 
a certain way. But then when you see an actor take that line and do something you didn't even realize they could do with it and make it so much better than it was in your brain, it's just like, like that was me, but also you and we're creating this thing together, which is unbelievably stellar. And like, yeah, it was, it was, it was unbelievably amazing. Nice, nice. So, um, so let's uh, let's get into the actual, you know, some of these projects that are more uh, more known uh, and everything else. And, and I believe, uh, uh, you know, Dinner Party was uh, was one of the first big ones that that was big for you. How did that you know idea come about? Uh, come about, and how did you you know start to develop it? And uh, you know, how did it come about? That's, that's funny because um, back in college, when I was writing plays and in the theater program, sometimes I would I would bring i would like steal my parents's video camera from home and then i would get a bunch of theater kids or just my friends together and say let's make something kooky like you know let's find a house let's we got you know let's just improv lines and stuff like that and that's what we did for the dinner party we had people around i'm like we're, we're gonna do this you know and i came up with this you know crazy you know people rich people eating other people which you know is kind of metaphorical in its own right and uh, and we, we we literally filmed it at my friend's aunt's house over, during one night. We started at like six, and we didn't get done till like three a.m. And uh, you know we, we were wearing our own clothes and just kind of doing whatever and making making it work. And then of course after we were done, they were all like, "I'm like time for sleep," and they were like, "No, are you fucking kidding? Let's watch it." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so we, put it in. <laughs> we watched it, and then it was it was amazing experience. And then a few years later. You know, because I, I found it a few years later, just the, the the cassette that I that I you know recorded it off the camera, and was watching it, and I went to my friend Pat, who was in it was my college roommate for years, and one of my best friends now, and I was like, "Do you think I can make this into a real movie?" He's like, "Why not? I mean, you know, like turn it into like just sit down and actually write a real script for it." I was like, "Okay," so I did, and it took me like I think a couple months. And at the end of it, I remember I was like, this is, this is not bad. And this is about, I remember writing this, I think it was uh, uh, about five months or so after I'd won second place. So I had this really newfound confidence. I was like, you know, if I could do that, then I should be able to do this. Plus, I'm not really making it out of thin air. I mean, we kind of already made it. <laughs> so why not? And so I did. And But then uh, I wrote it, and it was like pretty good, and I was doing some edits. And then things moved along, and I kind of forgot about it. And then um, my friend um, Jim Bullion, who's a producer friend of mine, who back when I met him, was uh, he found one of uh, uh, I wrote. Well, okay, so <laughs> so I did. I won the thing and everything, and then I was writing a bunch of other stuff, and then I, I actually posted them online on uh, simplyscripts.com because you can post your unproduced stuff on there for people to read and comment on and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I basically wrote like a like an action comedy kind of deal, very very Tarantino in vain. And uh, Jim was randomly looking for projects to do, and he found it, he read it, he loved it, and he dropped me a line. He's like, "This is good. Do you have anything else?" I was like, "Sure." And then Jim and I just—I mean, we've been working together for well, like fifteen years now. And um, he—he's in Mississippi. He's big. He owns several restaurants. You know, a lot of money and stuff like that. And he wanted to get into film producing and. He found me and then um, he was trying to put something together about 2018, you know, kind of a deal. And uh, Miles Doliak, who directed The Dinner Party, who's been acting in Hollywood for years, he's very gifted. And uh, he had just started, not just started, but he had been directing and writing his own independent features for a while. And then Jim called me. He's like, do you have any, uh, like... Uh, nasty little horror things you've written or anything. And I was like, oh, not recently, but I have, I was like, I have this one, which I wrote a while ago. He's like, send it to me. I was like, all right. And of course I sent it and I'm like, they're going to, you know, now blah, blah, blah. And then literally two days later, Jim calls me and says, okay, we're going to produce it. And I was like, what? Hey, what? What? Huh? what? <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, Miles is going to direct it. We're going to produce it with, you know, and I was like, Okay. And he's like, well, we're going to make a few changes to stuff here and there. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, it can always be better. 
and I did. We did some rewrites and whatnot. And then, um, you know, Miles contacted me and said he really liked the work. And um, we started casting. And then they, you know, the thing just happened. And it was great. And I got to go to set for, um, my wife was pregnant at the time. So out of the three-week shoot, I was only there for about a week, week and a half. But, I mean, just being there on set and experiencing everything was fantastic. You know, and so that's. That's how the dinner party came to be, basically. Yeah, absolutely. The um, uh, you know, and I I had a question, but I want to make sure you know Zach's our uh, one of our resident uh, screenwriters here, um, on our side. So I want to make sure that I, I we we leave him an opportunity to ask anything that he might want to ask. <laughs> oh, um, how many drafts <laughs> did you have before uh you know the final script was ready and everything like that? So on average, how many drafts would you say that you went through? Uh, the, the very first one is the first one I wrote way back when, and then, uh, Miles wanted to cast his wife, Lindsay, in a role that didn't exist. So we had to add a role and then, um, we, um, and we did that and that was the next draft. And then when I originally wrote it, I put a bunch of like, um, really dark comedy into it too, to make it kind of fun. And he wanted that cut out and he wanted it just to be like straight up, you know, horror terror. I was like, okay. So then we went through for the next draft and we eliminated all of that. And then we bunched up a bunch of, uh, a bunch of the violence, like uh, put in more gore and stuff like that. So I would say, and then after that, Miles went over and added his touches for the third. So I'd say about four. Okay. Four okay. before we started, I think is the, uh, the ultimate number we had. All right. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't too bad. We just, uh, just uh, a lot of uh, rearranging things and, uh, pumping some scenes up and whatnot, you know, and also uh, a lot of when I write, I love it, it, coming from my theater background. I love to have my characters talk, you know, just uh, a dialogue is like music, you know, when you write it down and, um, and uh, each character has their own rhythms and whatnot. And so sometimes when I write things, I tend to let dialogue go on for a little long, you know, like theater background, monologue, soliloquies, you know, stuff like that. And they had they they had me cut a bunch of that down too, of course, to make it a little a little punchier. So, but yeah, that's that's it was about four drafts, and then we were good to go. Okay, nice, uh, Mark. Nice, very nice. And, and I come from the and I've been acting since I was eight, so and I come from the theater background, so I understand the 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 monologues and and the lofty <laughs> things and how you have to keep keep it moving. And with film, you can do a little bit more show than tell. Um, yeah. So I'm curious though too is you know I, we come from a, a different kind of process because Zach's the resident screenwriter and most of the screenwriters that we have are part of our internal teams so they're already executive producers on there so they have to be in there in, in a multifunctioning role but I'm very curious about what did they require for you on set with being the writer you know how much involvement did you have with the actual production or were you there just to provide context you know how how does you know how was your role on on what was your role on set um uh, it was actually it was actually really cool because uh uh, honestly when i showed up because we filmed it in this giant you know mansion that belonged to a surgeon down there that we were basically renting for the production and just walking up and seeing this house and they have this huge fountain i mean it's in the film you know this huge fountain out front and everything and it was really great and i was like i remember thinking to myself it's fun to be here because my job is done you know, like, like I'm, I'm the reason all you people are here. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> done. You know, I, I kind of, you guys like this enough to cast it and make this happen. And, uh, but it was interesting because during filming, you know, Miles is a very gifted director and he would, you know, give suggestions and do his directing and whatnot, but he knew that it all came from my head, you know? So if there was a, something here and I would go up and I'd say, Miles is like, um, and so Andy Wilson, who played, uh, Sebastian, in the movie did a wonderful job. Like he was at one point he was playing the piano. His character was sitting down playing the piano and he was doing a good job and stuff like that. And Miles was like, that's cool. And I was like, well, it's like, Miles, can I just talk to Swandi for a second? And he was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And so I went up and I t- sat down next to Swandi on the, on the bench in front of the piano. And I was like, I was like, so you're doing a really good job. And I was like, but do you realize why your character is doing this right now? And he was like kind of and i was like okay it was like you're doing this because your character right now is fucking bored <laughs> and, it's, and it's just great to see his face go oh, all right you know and i was like yeah like you have killed you've made your kill now you're just waiting for everybody else to do their thing so you can eat mm. and he's like 
okay, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, so you're in here, you know, like, I'm going to play. This is what I do, biding time. And then, you know, you're like, blah, 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 blah. I want to eat. Where is everybody? Yeah. And then it was great because then when he did the next take, everybody was like, oh, because it was so much more animated and it made a lot more sense for his character and it came out. And um, it's just things like that happen. And then um, Camille McEwen, who played Agatha, she has a big scene where she, you know, she ties poor Allie, who plays Haley up and has sex with her dead husband in front of her. And before that, I remember she sitting because she was wearing, you know, the her really, you know, underwear, you know, for the scene and everything. And she had this big robe on just sitting on the couch like this. And I was like, you know, I went and sat to her. I was like, how are you doing? You're OK. You're not fine. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, hey, while you're here. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, this this whole speech I've got here, like, well, can you tell me about that? And I was like, sure. It's like, what, well, what are you going to do? And then she told me we talked about it and stuff and everything and. And uh, she had a really good grip on it, but there were things that, you know, I talked about that she was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. It's like, I can do that. And then she would go up, you know, and she would do the scene and it, the first time she did it, it blew me away because it was like, it's just amazing when it comes like right out of your brain, you know what I mean? And uh, so I got to, to do stuff like that here and there and talk and, uh, Allie, Allie Hart, who played uh, Haley, the lead in, in the dinner party, was she's an amazing actress and a wonderful person. And I really got to bond with her on set and talk about her character and things and watch her, uh, the way she works and uh, the way she played off everybody else and all this, all, all the things going on. And so it was kind of nifty to kind of just be on set and be like, make suggestions. And, and Miles was great for letting me do that, you know, because, I mean being the original script writer, knowing what I want the, what I want it to be on screen and then having him, you know, collaborate with him on touches and things like that just really was really, really, um, I really enjoyed it. And it's, and I can speak for the actor's perspective. It's very cool to have, you know, especially if you're like, um, a nerd about your craft and everything else. It's a lot of fun to have, you know, discussions to have the script writer readily available there. And Hey, like, what are you thinking about this? And then like, just talk about it. Even if you like, even if like 90% of the stuff that you discuss is not going to be used. Um, but you know, for two things, one, it's that 10% that really makes the difference in certain circumstances, but also more importantly, it's just fun. It's fun to talk about shop and it keeps things fresh and, 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 you know, and fun and inviting. So, um, uh, so, and that's, that's really, really cool. So I always love to ask this because I think filmmaking is it, it invites a lot of really fun and wild stories. Um, were there any fun mishaps or anything like that that you witnessed when you were on the set of the uh, of the film or anything like you know um, uh, you know kind of kind of crazy that happened? Um, we uh, they uh, are um, Julie, the head of our um, production design, and also did a lot of the uh, special effects and the the um, art you know, behind everything. She and a couple of her crew went to a, um, went to, uh, I think it was a home depot or something. Cause they needed like a, a, some more wood or something for one of the scenes, like something was falling down or whatever. They had to repair it. And they were there and they were walking into the place and there was a man with his truck standing right there and he was moving a box and the box was meowing. And Julian and people are like, is there a cat in there? He's like, yeah, and he literally tells them. He's like, my, my daughter doesn't want it anymore, so I think I'm just going to go you know, drop it in the water. <laughs> and they're like, what? They're like, you're going to drown that cat? He's like, well, I don't know what else to do with it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, um, we're taking it, thank you. <laughs> so they literally confiscated this, this kitten from this guy, and they brought it to set. And so my wife ended up spending most of her time, this, this adorable pregnant woman holding this, this little kitty in between takes. And then we would like, you know, for fun, they would come pose them in shots and whatnot. And they had, you know, the, the mansion had this huge bathroom and that's where we, we kept the kitty and gave it, we, we, someone went out and bought it food, you know? And so she, she became like this unofficial mascot for the production. That's awesome. <laughs> which was a lot of, which was a lot of fun the uh that that's awesome that's awesome so i did want to give an opportunity real quick though to talk about the other film uh the uh, demigod um and how that kind of you know came into it uh, came into be and came into fruition um how did that lead in from the other project 
Well, they, you know, the dinner party did really well and, um, it got a lot of, I mean, it turned out really well and got a lot of really good reviews. And so Miles and Jim were like, well, we should do something else. You know, I could get uh, a, a decent budget and film something else, but well, we need, you know, to kind of move on it or whatnot. And uh, so Jim called me and he said, you know, Miles and I were talking, we want to do something else. We want you to write it. And I'm like, sweet. And he was like, um, to cut down on costs and stuff, he's like, would it be fun if we kind of did something out in the woods? And I was like, yeah, because, you know, the first one was, you know, a house, urban area kind of thing. And so they wanted to do different. I was like, sweet. And then they were like, well, you know, come up with something and we'll talk about it and whatnot. And I was like, cool. And that's my favorite part of the process is just, you know, imagining things, coming up with characters and premises and whatnot. And so I sat down and then I vividly remember I couldn't think of shit. I could not think been of shit. There. What has been done in the yeah. woods? What spooky shit has not been done in the woods? Witches? No. Uh, maniacs? No. Inbred people? No. Like you know, you like you go through everything, and you're like, God damn it! Cabin in the woods fucked us. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, shit, shit, shit. But I love the idea of a dark primordial forest. You know, things going on. So I was like, so I gotta make this work. And I was like running out of things, and God bless my wife. My wife is like, well, you know, get it. And we were both on our phones, and she was like going through stuff. She's like, well, you know, you can do this. Like, no. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, like, and she's like, well, could you mesh some of them together? And I'm like, I'm like, honey, when I, this is me, when I hear the idea, uh, when I, I'll know it when I hear it. You know, it's just that spark that just goes, that's it. And she remembers going through, she's like, okay, forest, blah, blah, blah. And then she, and then she literally goes, well, what about the great hunter? And I was like, what is that? That is it. Tell me what that is. And she's like, well, it's a legend for Germany, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you mean Karunos? Like the forest God? She's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, that's it. <laughs> and then of course it's like, he leads a great hunt every year. You know, he's reborn every midwinter and leads this great hunt. And I was like, well, what if he's hunting people? you know, along with animals and stuff like that. I mean, that would be fucking creepy and in the woods and you've got folk horror and lore. And I'm like, I'm a huge folklore, folk horror fan. And, and I was like, this is right up my alley. And then I just started to write it. And I, you know, it took me about three weeks, I think. And I sent the first draft to Jim and miles and they were like, this is fantastic. And they were, they were like all over it. and there's so much, you know, they can do with it. And uh, it was like a go, you know, like, okay, we're going to produce it. And we're going to, you know, we got an area to film down here in Mississippi. And we went to a little black Creek, which is like a, you know, like a camping campground kind of thing. And, um, and the the best part about the whole thing was that Jim got back to me because after he read the first draft, he's like, I got to tell you, Mike, he's like, you know, when you sent me the dinner party and I read it, he's like, I was like, this is really good, but it didn't scare me. You know, like it was interesting, but I wasn't really creeped out or anything. It was just a lot of possibilities. Cool. But he's like, but then I read Demigod and he was like, it chilled me to the fucking bone, man. And I was like, thanks, dude. He's like, no, seriously, this is going to be kick ass. I was like, okay, cool. And uh, I don't remember what I called it. I think I just called it The Hunt or something like that. It was actually Jim who came up with the title Demigod. Mm. And, um, yeah, and then they started casting everybody. But the thing about Demigod is we were filming during COVID. Mm. And that was a challenge in itself because we all had to get tests every morning like clockwork. And, you know, if somebody's if somebody were to show up positive, we would have been fucked. And then somebody showed up positive. And we were fucked. Because the original cast, the the um, Sherry, who plays the pregnant woman at the beginning, was actually supposed to play the middle witch, the role of Atara. Mm. And the reason they switched it is because, and I am, I am, I was devastated by by this. The character of Fell, the third witch, the feral witch, was supposed to be played by Allie Hart from the dinner party. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. Allie has those eyes. You know, it would have been mind blowing. I was so, cause that was my one condition it was like a miles wanted to cast Lindsay again. That was his condition. Jim's condition was that we hire somebody else to do the music for this film. 
And mine was, I want Allie in the role of Spell. And it worked. And she was hired and everything. And then on the way to set, Allie tested positive for COVID. And not only that, Sherry was the one who was driving her. Mm. So Sherry became exposed to Allie. And then all of a sudden, not anymore. And they had to literally recast. And Sarah, who played, ended up playing Fell, was like one of our our uh, PAs who luckily, you know, she had an acting background. So they stepped in and they reorganized things and then they made, um, they made Sherry take over the role of the pregnant woman, a short one so that she could film her stuff and get by. And then, you know, and then we filled the role of Latara and we basically was, re- and that literally all happened within two hours. And I just remember, I remember cause I was walking to set one day and, Dan, our makeup artist, was like, yeah, well, they got to go over the stuff, all the big stuff that happened. I was like, big stuff that happened? What are you talking about? He's like, well, I shouldn't probably tell you. Just go find Miles and talk to him. And then I talked to him. And then I was like, son of a bitch. Like, I could not believe. I was devastated because Allie had even been sending me rehearsal footage of her being fell. Mm. And it was, I mean, it was, Sarah, Sarah did a great job. But Sarah's fell is about here. Allie would have been here. Sure. I was so let down and it was just so shitty. We had to, we all, I mean, for everybody, we all had to deal with that, you know, and luckily, luckily, you know, people's talents, I mean, all, I mean, Elena who did, who did play Latara did a great job. I mean, and it all, it all came together in the end, but it was, you know, it was, it was a nightmare for a while there. Yeah, no, I, I know we we filmed one of our episodes um, uh, during a, a little bit more on the later side of uh, of, of COVID. I think the people were getting a little bit more comfortable, um, uh, and um, we had our own set of difficulties that were beyond COVID. So I'm glad that we didn't, you know, we were lucky enough that that didn't get in tossed in our mix because we had enough. We had enough stuff going on. We didn't need to to, to have yeah. one more thing. So I, I am curious. one last question though, too, on, on, on all this stuff. And then we'll get to the, uh, I do a fun question of the podcast at the end. Uh, when it came to post-production, were you involved in, in any of that process or the, were no. any of your opinions or you were completely off, uh, you know, off limits and everything else? It's, it's one, I mean, they were doing it in Mississippi and I live here. <laughs> sure. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. But they did, um, they did, uh, I didn't because I didn't. It didn't occur to me to ask mm. during the dinner party because I'm just. I was just so in love with being there and watching them make it and everything. And then I sat back. and was like, "Sweets and the can. I can't wait to see it." And product, post production was just like out of my head. Like you know, I, I I didn't even think about that. But then like you know, demigod happened. I was like, "Oh yeah, they're doing post stuff." And I was like, "I wonder how this is going." And so you know, they were in Mississippi doing it, so I couldn't I couldn't get down there or anything. But I did call miles and i was like can you at least send me the first cut you know so i can watch it and stuff he's like yeah no problem so they did and they sent me the first cut of it and everything and i was like is this or any changes going to be made to this or whatever he's like we're not really looking for any changes but you know you can tell me what you think and everything and so i got to sit and watch the first cut of demigod and you know i mean honestly there there was nothing i would have changed you know and if if i if there was i don't think i would be able to make it happen, you know, cause they're, they're all there and I couldn't get there, you know, kind of a thing. And plus it would cost, you know, more money to go up and do any kind of more shooting and whatnot. And for we sure. didn't have money for that. No, absolutely. But I remember watching the first cut and being very pleased, you know, especially, I remember still feeling wounded watching it, knowing what it could have been, you know, but, uh, but what, what, what was, you know, the finished product was something I, I still really enjoyed. I thought they did a really good job considering everything we're going on. And plus being able to watch Elena put the lit on fire <laughs> and run on fire and the whole seeing the whole process of that was really interesting. Yeah, Zach got to fulfill a lifetime goal in his uh, as college senior uh, by covering an actress completely in blood. Um, uh, he was he was very it was a it was a lifelong dream and everything else. And I, being the the executive producer, which that role was thrusted upon me, had to remind him that we got to make sure we do this in the lawn and not downstairs because we can't get blood yeah. everywhere, especially in a basement. Your basement was dirty and dusty as hell. It wouldn't have mattered if there was some dried blood on the floor. No one would have known. No one would have cared. Your dad probably wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah, they probably would have. Also, asked. you were more worried about your goddamn pants. I was worried about my pants, but you know, but 
but also having a large pool of blood in the basement of a very Chicago Italian neighborhood probably would have inspired some very interesting questions. The um, uh, the um, uh, the um, it, my family's from Grand and Western, so that's where all the gentlemen used to live, as I call them, with a lot of vowels in their names. The uh, we, went, we lived in Chicago. We end up going to a, a restaurant. I can't. Sadly, I can't remember the name of it anymore, but it's it's not in operation anymore. But we we found out after the fact that it was it was mob owned. Yeah, and, I mean, you, the owner the owner the owner looked literally looked like he stepped out of Goodfellas, <laughs> and he had he had no neck, and he was his name was Joe, and he literally would be like, "Hey, what are you with your dick?" Of course, his name was Joe. The um, of course, his name was Joe. You know, my father yeah. is like worldly educated. He's like, you know what, man? But you know what? You can take me out of the city, man, but you can never take the city out of the boy. I get a couple drinks in me, and I'm get downtown, and I'm I'm doing you know trees and does and and all kinds of yeah. shit. The um, I lost three thousand dollars on a dice game last night. It was terrible. <laughs> the um. Uh, it turned out that the one of the other restaurants that was owned by Joe, they found a guy tied to a chair, beaten to death with a baseball bat in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were like, "Oh, okay, okay. then." The uh, yeah, that happens. The um. So anyway, so um. Uh, so at the end of the uh, end of the podcast, I always do a fun uh, question of the podcast, um, and I think this is this one's appropriate. Um, what is a um a turf of a turf of horror or a subgenre of horror? that you have not covered yet in your artistic approach, but you would like to, um, uh, you know, like maybe an area, a genre, a subgenre of horror that you're like, man, I would love to tackle that. Um, in, in tradition of the nightmares podcast, we usually allow the guests to go first, but you can, as per just a tradition states that you can pass, um, uh, to somebody and we can always come back to you. Um, uh, but I, I, so, but I'm very curious to hear, um, uh, what you may want, want to do. And I love when, when the guest goes, Ooh, the, uh, that yeah. means I got a good question. <laughs> okay. Maybe pass. All right, Zach. <laughs> Got them all running through my head right now. I need to decide. Fair so. enough. Fair enough. Go ahead. Um, you can pick multiple options too. By the way, <laughs> I just want to film a shark movie. That that's one of my <laughs> ultimate goals. I want to, and not one of those stupid, campy, bullshit CGI shark movies. I want to film a legitimately good, horrifying shark movie. Something that has been done very few and far between. There might only be five of them in existence. I will be the sixth one, second place only to Jaws. <laughs> the um, I, I think that I, I want to do more shit with werewolves. I don't think there's enough werewolf movies out there. And I want to do some more shit with werewolves. Um, uh, the, um, and maybe even, um, uh, you know, I want to explore more things that I heard on you know, I was a big fan of the show Supernatural, which is very much about folklore. So I would love yeah. to, you know, to to dive deeper into some of these other folklores um, like Wendigos. I know that there was a, that movie Antler that just came out. Um, I have not seen it yet. Um, dive more into, you know, Wendigos, maybe some, you know, some other demigods, some Nordic gods, um, uh, you know, but uh, but definitely some shapeshifters and some, you know, some. Um, uh, some werewolves would be really dope because I think um, there's a lot of movies like that, but uh, it, there's not enough. There's a lot of vampire movies, but there's not enough werewolf movies, in my opinion. I actually am. Uh, now I just you know we forget things and you just remember it. I have actually been working on for the past couple years my own uh, Giallo. Nice, nice. Um, which uh, is a sub subgenre I've always loved. I mean, deep red, you know, girl, the, the uh, uh, bird with the crystal plumage. Sure. I mean, Dario Argento, and then just you know, knife of ice, a quiet place to kill, like all these, uh, the black gloves, the knives, the colors. I mean, did you guys ever see Knife Plus Heart? Not that one, but I've seen some of the other uh, Giallo, you know, um, uh, movies as well. I'm just trying to remember some of the titles, but yeah, I've seen, um, uh, you know, a few of them, so I know the style very well. Okay, yeah, you got you guys got to see if none other. You got to see Knife Plus Heart. It's a newly, it's a uh, more modern one, but it's it's fantastic. You've got a, you've got a killer stalking the set of a gay porno in the seventies. <laughs> I mean, the, the cinematography, <laughs> it's fantastic. It really is. But yeah, but I've I've been working on one for a while, and that is something. It's funny because that was something I was going to finish because. Next May, 
May and into June will actually be my directorial debut. Ooh. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. I have a, uh, a script that we're, we're, we're getting the funds for right now that I'm going to do, but I was originally going to do um, Giallo, but um, which, which is, uh, um, which I titled Screwdriver. Um, but uh, um, I figured out that I want to do something a little different than that because that's going to be like a big passion project. I want to do something that, that would take a, a smaller budget that I could make and still be really impactful. Sure. So the, what I'm going to end up directing is, is, uh, in the vein of a, a dark fairy tale type of nice. horror. Nice. You know what? Which, there, uh, there isn't enough of those either. No, no, there's really not. And I'm, I'm, I grew up on fairy tales and I mean, the, the horror elements in fairy tales are just so strong and just, I would love to, I'm going to have a lot of fun playing around with that this spring. Absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, well, sir, it is your opportunity to look directly to your camera and uh, plug where the good people can find you um, and find more information about your films and all your social media handles and your hashtags and whatever the hell the the kids are saying these days. Go ahead, sir. (laughs) All right. Hi, guys. I'm Michael Donovan Horn. I'm a screenwriter and an author. Uh, My films are The Dinner Party and Demigod, which are officially on streaming. You can find them on uh, iTunes, of course, and uh, various other platforms. Um, I've also, I'm also an author. I've written a uh, a short story collection of horror stories called Monster Box. You can find that on Amazon and you can find that on barnesandnoble.com. I've also do, I'm also an artist. Uh, You can find my art at uh, Big Cartel under the Dark Thicket. So take a look and uh, tell me what you think. You know, you can uh, see my movies, read my book, tell me what you think, give me reviews. You know, horror people, find me. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Though, so thank you so much. And thank you all of you for checking out the Nightmares podcast. You can uh, find us where all podcasts are found uh, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, all that great stuff. And if you are watching on YouTube, if you could be so awesome to stab that like button, smash that subscribe, and click that little dingy bell to be notified every time we drop amazing content. You can also find us on all of our great social medias Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Slasher. The application for all things horror, you can also find Mike on there as well under his full name. So thank you so much, um, and we'll see you next time on the Nightmares Podcast. Bye, guys.